welcome to the TES Further Education Podcast. This week I'll be learning about social responsibility with Mike Hopkins, CEO of Middlesbrough Gateshead College. Sarah Legood, Assistant Principal of Derby College, will tell us how to connect with the community. And I'll be finding out all about Feltag from FE expert Bob Harrison. Welcome to the TES FE podcast with me, Sarah Simons. This week I'm going to be learning about how FE colleges and the community work together in terms of college community, local community and wider community accessible digitally. It's interesting to me that colleges are often the linchpin of local communities where education and employment meet to broaden aspirations and to boost the economic welfare of the area where the provision is based. But alongside that, lots of colleges reach way beyond the locality to have impact nationally and in some cases internationally. I think Sir Michael Wilshaw's comment last year that colleges need to start worrying more about what's happening in Deptford rather than Delhi emphasises the concerns that some people have about where college focus is or should be. But for some provisions, the blend between expansion and the focus on local needs is spot on. The wider business generates funds to channel into the smaller local projects to address the social and community responsibilities of that college. These community projects may not otherwise be financially viable options were it not for those wider initiatives. I spoke to Mike Hopkins, CEO of Middlesbrough and Gateshead College Confederation. Here he tells us what community means to him. How do you assess what your community needs, both from a civic point of view and from employer needs? I think there's a number of layers to that, really, Sarah. I think, you know, a college, a successful college, should be living in its community. So its first community is its very own staff and students, and talking with its staff and students, learning from its staff and students, really testing the proposition. Okay, we may be good, but can we be better? Asking our staff and students what more we can be doing. Another layer is working with, if you like, I think the modern word is stakeholders, local authority stakeholders, employer stakeholders, directly with employers, with employer representatives, etc. Really getting a feel from them, not only uh, where the economy is now or where, uh, you know, where a particular community is now, but where it's likely to be in years to come. Another aspect of that at uh, Middlesbrough College is that uh, Andy MacDonald, uh, Labour MP for Middlesbrough, is often in the college meeting employers and the college brokers those meetings, listens, contributes, but also learns and uh, maybe gets an early warning of an employer need and and puts uh, provision in. And and likewise, uh, the college, although it has one main site, does work in its communities as much as it's able to and all the time is trying to learn from what it's doing, apply that learning and adapt and regenerate its curriculum offer. How do you find out if that's working? How do you know? I know you mean the college, but let's talk about the principal's role. I think, uh, I mean, principals do the jobs in different ways. For me, a really important part of being uh, hopefully an effective principal was ensuring that, uh, if you like, I cleared my emails very early in the morning and possibly late at night so that I was as available as I can to people. Because colleges are buildings, colleges are, you know, pieces of equipment, they're all those things, but actually they're people. So I think it's very much, the eye, the personal eye is very much about 
listening and, and being around. And then the college, as it were, as the I, loads of mechanisms. Again, one talks to one's staff and students, and I hope that conversation is going on throughout. You have formal mechanisms, questionnaires, etc., etc. You work with stakeholders, focus groups, all those sorts of things. We even have a public relations uh, company who test the market as well. So you establish what's needed to suit local employment needs and you set up the courses to accommodate those needs. How do you get students to pick those courses? I think it's really important that colleges are able to offer good independent advice and guidance. Let's say it's easy in one sense to attract a student into the college, but to keep that student, beyond the ethics of it, just as a, just as a business proposition, to keep that student, one has to put really relevant provision, and the person who determines that relevance ultimately is not me, it's that person, that customer, that employer, that student, whatever. Uh, and so I think independent advice and guidance is absolutely critical to that. And I actually think there's a, the most important aspect of that is ethics. You know, again, we're dealing with people. And although colleges have to be run as a business, in my opinion, they are not a business. They are about people and they're sites of education and training and opportunity. And at the heart of that are the people. Those people are students, they're employees very often working for companies, and they're the staff of the college. Those are the heartbeats. The FE sector is responsive to government priorities and to, to different funding mechanisms. It's also responsible to the local community. How do you marry those two priorities? Yeah, I think that's a fundamental question. And I think the, uh, if you like, the accountabilities demanded of FE are very complex and sometimes uh, approaching contradictory. I think, um, you know, when I was a young man, I was an idealist, and I think I still am. But I've had to learn the hard way, I guess, at times, that there is going to be a gap between the ideal and the reality. And the point of a professional life, or any life really, is to make that gap as close as possible. So, you know, even this government, there may be one or two two things I don't agree with. But I can either pack up my tent and go away and do something else, or I can do the best I can within a particular framework. And that's essentially what I've done in in, in my working life. I've got a set of values. I've shared those with governing bodies who are selecting. Some have said, yes, we want to work with those values. Some have said, no. Those who've said, yes, I've brought those values in. But if you just stand on your values you might get swept aside because in the end elected uh, politicians do create the policy and it's up to you then to adapt. But one of my values is absolutely I know my roots, I know where I come from, I know who I serve and I won't be serving anyone if in the end the college closes because it hasn't adapted to the policy, it hasn't adapted to the funding regime and it runs out of money. So that's my pragmatic stance. Sarah Legood is Assistant Principal at Derby College, where her focus is social inclusion. Here she explains how perception of young people in the community is an all-important factor to inclusion and meaningful contribution. The media doesn't always portray young people in the best light. How can we alter the perception of young people in the community? I think that's a general challenge for FE and for the the community generally. I think 
one of the difficulties we struggle with is to make meaningful relationships with community partners. And I don't just mean other organisations, I mean people within the community. One of the initiatives we're going to be looking at is how we can offer services to the community, particularly around people who have perhaps a misconception of young people and to do some work before with our young people to help them understand that perception is everything. Lots of the time when you start to explore the way young people choose to dress and present themselves to the community, you find that that's actually defensive and it's a mechanism to exclude themselves effectively and to become um, slightly disaffected from the parts of the community that they don't spend a lot of time with. So most young people who walk around with a backside hanging out with a hat on backwards and have a bad attitude and generally think they're some kind of gangster wouldn't normally behave like that with their grandparents. Mm. So one of the questions I've asked lots of the young people I've worked with is where's your benchmark? How would you behave with your grandparent? And we have quite a lot of discussion and tutorial work around how would you behave in front of your child? How would you behave in front of your mum and dad? How would you behave in front of your grandparent? That can be challenging when you're working with young people who don't live in a conventional family setting. So you have to then explore other benchmarks and other people who who they respect or who they want to respect them. And for them to understand that actually whether they want to or not and whether they plan to or not, they will at some point make a meaningful contribution to our community. And that is our immediate community as well as the wider one. Do you think including digital technologies and using online sort of resources to engage with the community is something that we're not particularly doing as yet? I mean, as in community, as in local community. It's either patchy or clunky, the kind of the way social media and technology is used. Um, but that could just be down to my perception because I don't use it as effectively as I could previously when working at another college Facebook was invaluable to to me and my staff because it was a recruitment tool and because we were able to publicize what we were doing lots of the stuff we did was community-based so it was actually out where young people are and when somebody's disaffected or disengaged it's much easier to start from where they are than to conventionally start from where FE is and drag them towards you it's much easier to walk with somebody to their destination than try and drag them into your model we're just starting to pilot reaching out into our wider community for students or for young people who choose not to come to the college I work at but have specialism. So they um, are using, for example, assistive technology because they've got a specific learning difficulty. So they're an expert in using uh, voice recognition software or whatever and they will come in and they will be the person who teaches my staff. So it's a young person right. teaching my staff. Yeah. My staff know and understand the software but don't understand the practicalities of being able to use it and currently we don't have any students who use it so we're never going to learn the lesson until the student arrives it's looking at that community in the widest sense what are the challenges to creating opportunities in the community for learners with learning difficulties to make a meaningful contribution the first place to start for me is always with the young person what do you want to do young people with learning difficulties are entitled to exactly the same aspiration as anybody else And I think we generally tend, as a community, to not stretch and challenge young people with learning difficulties. So we allow them to settle very easily and we don't constructively give them opportunities to stretch and challenge themselves. And whereas any other student might take the leap of faith that they think they've been okay in the past, so they will be okay and they'll be fine to progress, 
a young person with a learning difficulty might need 10 or 15 opportunities to consolidate that confidence and be able to then take that forward. Again, it's down to things like every college being tasked with delivering an element of work experience. All FE colleges are going after a very limited market, so there are very few people who want to take um, students with learning difficulties and disabilities on a work placement Mm. because their requirements are so massively different. Mm. So I'm exploring things like being able to have community partners who would be a volunteer job coach. So the college provides job coaching and provides support for interview and preparation. But then once somebody's in placement, there's either somebody within the organisation who acts as a, as a voluntary coach or the go-to person. And they look really hard at working with the young person to identify the tiny steps of development that are made, which you or I might make in a day, which might take my student five or six visits to make. You know, arriving on time, suitably dressed, the things that we all do on a daily basis might take a lot of unpacking for a student with learning difficulties but it doesn't mean they can't build the skill it means we have to differentiate our approach and also ask them that's the key for me ask them what they want what aspiration they have what they reasonably think they can do in a kind of time frame wise i'll generally say that a student can work in half the time they think they can but again working creatively to build your curriculum to build all of those composite skills so that by the time somebody's going on work placement or wants to get a voluntary job they are already dressed like a professional, already arriving on time, already know how to communicate, already have a bank of 10 questions that they can ask somebody to start a conversation so they don't have to feel awkward or they don't have to wait for this person to ask. The confidence to share their learning difficulty and say, I have autistic spectrum disorder and that means that sometimes I'll need to do this, mm-hmm. owning their learning difficulty, because that's not going away. So it's about building that into their personality coping mechanisms and it just being a tiny part of them, like the fact they've got blue eyes. It's that, really. Next week, the much-anticipated report from FELTAG, the Further Education Learning Technologies Action Group, is published. Bob Harrison has worked in education for many years. He's a former principal and current FE college and school governor. Among his many roles, he's education advisor for Toshiba Information Systems and a member of the FELTAG group. Here, Bob tells us how Feltag's recommendations could enable better engagement with technology in FE and skills and ultimately provide greater access to learning. Having done a lot of research, we commissioned some horizon scanning reports about what's happening in the future with technology and all that will be published as part of the report. But we also did a lot of research and we had six different work streams. And so, first of all, do we think the FE in skills, leadership and governance, are they aware of what the horizon looks like? Mm. And I think the answer to that was, well, some do, most don't. Mm. So the first work stream was about horizon scanning. What, what do we need to get? What intelligence do we need to have about the way that technology for learning is going and what's coming down the track yeah. at us? The sector has to keep abreast of change. Now, how do we do that? Now, I would suggest to you that rather than every individual college doing that or every individual provider commissioning their own report, that there's a role for government in that. So the second work stream that, you know, evolved after consultation with a lot of people in the sector was, well, well, what about the investment and the capital infrastructure? What we need is uh, an infrastructure and an investment policy 
for the procurement of technical infrastructure that's appropriate and agile. You know, my experience of working on the building skills for the future, you know, it took them two years to identify what technology they want and put it in. Well, by the time they did all that, Sarah, the technology moved, moved on. on. <laughs> so, yeah. so, so, the, so the building skills for the future, bro, they ended up building skills for the past. <laughs> You know, you and I both remember the LSC uh, capital funding fiasco, don't we? Yeah. You know, my argument is the way that technology is going and the way that people and the way that my grandchildren will be learning in the future is I'm not sure they'll actually need a lot of big buildings. Yeah. Do they really need to go and sit in a room with 15 other people, be watch something that's up on an overhead projector or an interactive whiteboard and to... I'm not sure that's what they'll need. I, I think they'll need to be able to access learning resources and be supported with learning wherever they are. I'm not convinced. I suppose that that, re- that's, that depends on emergent technologies and how easily people are connected. You know, because we, we talk about this bring your own devices thing. And from my experience, I have students who they have the phones, but they're so nervous of the potential impact on the tariff, if they use it in any other way apart from Facebook or sending texts, that it it makes it a little bit irrelevant at the moment. I agree with you, but, uh, you know, on on the other hand, if you go into any other college, what currently would you say is the uh, physical space utilisation in terms of days of the week, weeks of the year, Hmm. hours of the day? Yeah. So my argument there is that, you know, the investment and, and capital infrastructure issue needs to be carefully scrutinized. The idea that, you know, we need to build more colleges, I think, is just nonsense. I think the idea that we can support more learning using digital technology is what we need to look at. Yeah. So that's the second one. So one is regulation and funding. I, I think the regulation and funding must not inhibit innovation and, it, and its effectiveness in improving learner outcomes. And at the moment, the evidence base that we're getting suggests that it does. And just linked to that in terms of regulation, if you look at the common inspection framework, there is only one very oblique reference to the use of technology. And I think it, all it says is that technology should be available. Well, I just don't think that's strong enough. I, you know, and I've been a principal myself. The two things that really kept me awake at night were Ofsted and funding. You know, if we want, therefore, to tweak the culture or nudge the culture, I think we've got to do something about what Ofsted has to say and what Ofsted are looking for. Now, that raises another issue. And and actually, I have to say, the recent evidence I've had from colleges that have been inspected is that Ofsted are getting much better at Mm. being able to encourage innovation and spot uh, effective user. Now, I think we also need to get better at spreading that message across all institutions, not just the odd ones where you happen to get an Ofsted inspector who knows what they're talking about. Yeah. Now, the fourth work stream, which I think is probably the biggest, is workforce capacity. You know, my, my view is, and I think this will get reflected in the Feltag report, that the entire workforce, and that includes support staff, leaders, governors, managers, middle managers, teachers, assessors, has to be brought up to speed to fully understand the potential of learning technology. And from my experience of working in colleges, that's a massive challenge, massive challenge. You know, from your experience about teacher confidence in the use of technology, I think you'd agree that there's, there's a big job of work to be done there. Yeah, absolutely. But I think one of the problems also is the range of 
resources even across one college there can be bright shiny campuses with everything there that you feel confident that everything works and then there can be other smaller sort of vaguely hidden campuses which act as a museum for what that college was 20 years ago absolutely. do you know what i mean oh, and i absolutely. think some of it is to do absolutely. with a consistency of tech across entire colleges at every campus Without a shadow of a doubt. And, and, of course, one of the factors that's contributed to that has been the number of mergers, hasn't there? Yeah. So I think I think workforce capacity is going to be a big issue. You know, how that's going to happen, well, you know, that's going to be a, a matter for the Education and Training Foundation. It's going to be a matter for individual colleges and governing bodies about, you know, how they spend the money. And you're right to point out that that's also linked to the infrastructure issue, isn't it? And, yeah. Uh, because it's all very well us having like the best training, so we all absolutely know what we're doing. But after you've planned, a, I'm sure you'll know this. After you've planned a class, and it's going to be brilliant, and it's all reliant on tech, and then the tech don't work, and you've got ninety yeah, minutes I, thinking, I, "Oh bloody hell, what am I going to oh, do well, now?" Well, after that's happened two well, or three times, you're straight at that photocopier. Exactly, and I think I think if you look back at the history of further education, you know it's been a case of disjointed incrementalism, hasn't it? You yeah. know. And largely, the development of further education has not, not had anything to do with the state. You know, I'm very proud of that heritage, but what it's meant is we've got a bit of a ramshackle infrastructure, yeah. haven't we? And I think and once I think there is in... consistency of resource and support, then people will learn and they will run with it and they will get more excited about it because they can trust that it's there to enhance what they do rather than, rather than hold mean, them I, back. I have a view that used properly, used effectively, appropriate technology, and if Celtech address all these things, I'm absolutely convinced we can engage with more learners, more effective learning, we'll need more teachers and different teachers, teachers with a different skill set, and, and I'm absolutely convinced we can have more learners engaged for the same resource that we've got. But yeah. my view would be it doesn't necessarily have to be in a building. Yeah. And what we need to do, I think, is see how technology can help us take learning to where the learners are and how we have a workforce that's capable of delivering and supporting and engaging with learners wherever they are. I'm, I'm not saying entirely. I, mean, I'm, I think the key word here is blended. So it, there's not one complete answer. This is mm. a case of us as professionals deciding what's appropriate for different learners. So seeing as we've been talking about FE in the community, digital engagement is something that really has a, a central role to, to bring learning to everybody in the future. Without a shadow of a doubt, in order for us to be able to engage more with learners wherever they are, we, we need an investment in the workforce capacity and capability yeah. as well as the digital infrastructure. It may be that there's some difficult decisions. It may be that colleges will have to decide, well, should we really refurbish that teaching block that's been you know, going down the neck yeah. for a few years? Or would it be better for us to invest that money, one, in some learning design people uh, and, and tutors who can support learning? And secondly, if we have got people who are disadvantaged because they don't have access and connectivity, then let's give it them. Yeah. What, yeah. What, you know, the, one of the most successful bits of the government's, the last government skills is the Home Access to Technology Initiative. Uh, we spent £300 million putting packages of a, a device and a c connectivity into kids who were underachieving and with free school meals. Now, the evaluation of that report demonstrates that, you know, that investment had a massive effect on standards 
and teaching and learning. So the research is there to demonstrate that if you can have teachers who have the right skills, if you can have people who are connected, if you can blend the learning to bring together a combination of face-to-face and online support, uh, then, you know, I think... uh, we, we can engage with more learners and use the resources that we've got at our disposal. I mean, you know, money's tight and all that. We've heard all that. And we've got a bit bored with all that. But the reality is, we, I think we've got to look at the resources that we've currently got. Thanks very much to all my guests. We'll be back soon with a podcast special from the TES FE Awards. Best of luck to all the nominees and thanks for listening.